Well, good morning, Word of Life. Come on, how many of you are glad you made it to church today? How many of you are glad that uh, despite the snow, we're able to be here? Um, well, I've got some great things uh, to share with you. Um, so we are now week three of the calendar year, and I want to let you know that the first two weeks uh, of the new year, we've had an extremely high church attendance. Um, we, we've had people, you know, that are that just flocking to church. Um, In-person has been strong, but online has been unbelievable. Uh, about three quarters of the people that uh, are being a part of the church this weekend will do so online. Um, and I just want to say, I, I wonder if the, uh, the increase in attendance that we've had is that the new year, there's people that have just decided, you know what, 2021, we're going to get serious about God. We're going to put faith first. We're going to be active in church. And I just want to say, if that is you, if that's the reason that you've been a part of church, whether you're here or whether you're one of the guys online, I want to encourage you, keep going. That's a great goal to set out at the beginning of the year is to put God first to put faith as a focal point of how the year is going to go. And I believe you fast forward this time next year, you'll be glad you do so. Come on. So come on, let's welcome everyone in person, online. So glad you guys are able to join with us. Uh, so last week, uh, I was able to share on a topic that I love talking about that was near and dear to me. Uh, and we talked about passion. Um, uh, we talked about what it means to live a passionate life of faith. And we talked about how a passionate faith is a normal faith. We talked about how passion is an excitement, that excitement is fleeting, that excitement is depending on there being something happening that, that causes the excitement, but passion cuts through seasons. Passion will keep you going. It doesn't matter what's happening. Passion will keep you going. Uh, endurance through any season. And the passion uh, you know, for God and passionate for the kingdom will realign our values, will realign our priorities as we start being passionate in our pursuit of God. And so last week's message sets us up well uh, for today as we look at the idea of growth and growing our relationship with God or maturing our faith. And the kind of growth we're looking at has nothing to do with showing off or being bitter or beggar, uh, bit, bigger or better. I got there eventually. Bigger or better than anyone else, this is all about being healthier, stronger, more resilient in the face of temptation, growing in integrity, growing in character, seeing more and more of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. It's the opposite of being selfish. The opposite of being selfish. See, selfish is the opposite of mature Christianity. And there's a well-known uh, verse where Jesus is uh, approached in Matthew 22 and the rabbis would get together and they would often quiz each other on what's the most important commandment? What's the one thing? If you were going to summarize the whole of what we know as the Old Testament and say that encapsulates all of it, the rabbis would get together and kind of debate this thing almost like a contest. So when they put the question to Jesus, they were trying to find out, come on, prove yourself. So they put the question to Jesus, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus says, well, I'm going to give you two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. So as we talk about growing, the idea of growing in our faith, growing in our relationship, we're talking about growing in our pursuit of loving the Lord our God with all our heart, all our mind, and all our soul. And we're growing as we look to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we're going to look at uh, two scriptures today that seemingly uh, don't have anything to do with each other. They're, uh, they're scriptures that aren't necessarily connected, but I believe there's two principles that we need to grab as we begin this pursuit of growing and growth. And I want to say this now, um, I'm going to cover a good amount of ground today. 
Um, as I was going through this, there wasn't anything that I felt was right or appropriate to cut. So we're going to cover some ground. So if you're not in the habit of taking notes during a sermon, this is a great morning to start. You don't have to transcribe the whole thing, but if something leaps out that's worth remembering on Wednesday afternoon, write it down now so you've got a reference point to come back to. We're going to go through a couple of Bible verses. Uh, one of them is going to be a parable of Jesus in Matthew's gospel. A number of you know this well. It's known as the parable of the sower. But starting in chapter 13, verse 3, Jesus talk, as he's talking about Jesus, he told many stories in the form of parables such as this one. Then Jesus says, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. And there's a lot to this scripture, and if you read on in chapter 13, Jesus actually goes on and, and explains uh, more and more of the parable. He unpacks it for the disciples and goes into great detail about uh, the analogies that he uses and what this all represents, but uh, I want to just a few things to cover just so we can get the point that I believe we need to pull from this parable. The first thing is that the seed is the word of God. The seed of the word of God, the message of Jesus, a realization of who Jesus is, a biblical truth, that is the seed that is being talked about, is being sown uh, in this parable. And the soil, that's people's hearts. And the condition of the soil mattered. The condition of the soil is it received the seed. Is it received the seed that was good? It was the word of God. Is it received the seed that mattered the condition of the soil? And the outcome, the harvest, what came back, uh, that is the way that people received the word of God. As they received the seed, the response was all about the soil and how people received the word of God that was going in there. Now, this parable is directly talking about people and our lives. It's not talking about money or any other thing we could hang a story like that on. This is talking about people's lives because it's our hearts that are the soil. And the harvest is what's happening in our lives because of the seed that's been planted. And for our purposes today, as we're talking about growth, I want to just have a, a quick look at the numbers that Jesus put out there. So as he talked about the different kind of harvest that comes when the seed goes into good soil, he said that you'll get a 30 return or a 60 return or a 100 return. Now, a 30 return, that would be a good year. If a farmer, and I, you know, I know nothing about agriculture, but I was able to read up that if, if a farmer in the first century in that area, if they got a 30-fold return, that was a good year. If they got a 60-fold return, that is a once-in-a-lifetime return on a harvest. If a farmer would have got 60-fold return on what they sowed, they would have had all the other farmers in the area asking them what their secret was. This was a once-in-a-lifetime harvest to get 60 but Jesus goes on and says, and a hundred. And a hundred, if we're using this analogy of the sower and the seed and the soil and our hearts and our lives and the return that we get, a hundred is flat out impossible. Impossible. So the point of this parable, the left hook of this parable is that what God intends to do in your life and my life as seed is sown into our lives, as the word of God is sown into our hearts, as we respond, what God is looking to do is not pretty good. It's not awesome. It's not noteworthy. It's flat out impossible. 
What the Lord is looking to do in the lives of believers and has been for thousands of years is that the Lord is looking to bring out the absolute impossible. God has impossible plans for your life. Now keep this in mind as we look at the next scripture which comes from the book of Philippians. It's written by a man called Paul. He's come to be known as the Apostle Paul. The Apostle was an incredibly important role that he held as he sought about doing ministry and work for Jesus, establishing the first century church all over the known world at the time. And he wrote this in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, starting in verse 12. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. This is the measure of Christian maturity from what we just read from Paul. What Paul is saying is that if you're mature, if you're mature in your faith, you get this. Not that we've got to this point of awesomeness, but that we know that there's more. There's more to pursue. There's more to grow into. There's more for us to grow into. That God hasn't finished with the impossible plans in our lives. And I wrote this down and it was helpful for me. Maybe it's helpful for you, but the Christian maturity is a commitment to keep maturing. Christian maturity is a commitment to keep maturing. If you remember from the parable so that what the Lord is looking to do and what the Lord desires to do in my life and your life is the absolute impossible. This is an ongoing thing. It's not just a one-time event. The Lord is hoping to do impossible things to the lives of believers and Christian maturity is realizing that we haven't arrived, but we're committed to keep moving forward. The goal isn't to get to a point where we can settle or plateau in our faith or in our relationship with him but rather to keep growing in faith, growing in our relationship with God, and to continue seeing God doing the impossible in our lives. But the warning from Paul here is not to stagnate, not to stall, and convince ourselves that this is all that God has, but rather to keep growing and stretching because God has far much more ahead for you and for me. I wanna go back through a, a few points from that passage in Philippians that I think are extremely helpful. I think there are three attitudes that I was able to pick up on this week that I think are helpful for us. As Paul is looking to shift some attitudes and look to shift some mindsets among the Philippians, I think it was true uh, 2,000 years ago, and I think it's true for us today. So I want to go through three things that Philippians, I believe, teaches us about growth. And the first thing is humility. Humility. Philippians teaches us growth, and it teaches about humility. And the scholars, the biblical experts, the people that uh, make it their business to know the Bible better than me, uh, they would say that as Paul was writing this, it looks like, it appears, as you look into the details of the letter, it looks like that there was a group of people that had risen up and were opposing uh, Paul's teaching. And they were trying to convince the Philippian church to follow them rather than following Paul. And the way they were doing this was to criticize Paul and make it sound like, you know, he's not all that. He hasn't got it all together. He's actually, you know, pretty fallible. There's actually some problems with Paul. And it's incredible because Paul just 
owns it. In the face of people criticizing him, in the face of people trying to derail his work, in trying to divide the church that Paul started, Paul, and they're saying, you know, without Paul, he's, he's, got a, he's a mess. He's got problems. He's got stuff going on. Paul says, yeah, I know, absolutely, but I'm going to grow, and I'm going to keep growing, and my commitment is to keep growing. Verse 12, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things, or that I've already reached affection. Verse 13, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. He just owns it. People trying to come against him saying, yeah, Paul's got issues, man. He ain't got to figure it out. Paul's got problems. He's like, yes, I definitely do. And I'm going to keep moving. I don't know about you, but I find this such a relief that one of the greatest people of faith ever just owns up to the imperfections he has. And he's just said, you know what, I've got these imperfections and I'm going to keep growing. I don't know about you, but I find that an incredible relief in my life following Jesus that possibly one of the greatest Christians that will ever live would say, I'm a mess. I've got problems. I need to fix stuff up. But it takes a huge amount of humility for Paul to get there. These are people looking to him for guidance, people looking to him for direction, looking to him for leadership, looking to him for wisdom. And to those people, he says, I haven't got this figured out, but I'm committed to get there. It's a safe assumption that we all need more humility. It's a safe assumption that we all need to be more humble. And the only person here that doesn't apply to is me. If you don't know me, that was a joke because I, I, I'm going to move right ahead. But the second thing we get from Philippians, from the passage we read, Philippians teaches us growth by teaching passion. Passion. And twice in the portion of scripture that we read, Paul said, press on. Verse 12, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Verse 14, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. And this is strong language. I had a chance this week to look up in uh, you know, the original language, the original New Testament Greek, and start looking at these words. And, and these are strong language. If, if someone were to take that word possess, I mean, really, a, a good way to describe it is it means like to grab forcefully, to possess something. It, it's not just, a, oh, okay. It, I mean, it's a forceful grab. And then pressing on, it, it, it's not just sort of casually going after something, but it's more like a hunt or a pursuit. It's active. And when I was, uh, when I was about 12... Um, I was fascinated by the Rocky movies. Any other guys that go through that phase, you know what I'm saying? Oh, come on, somebody. If you don't cry at the end of Rocky II, I don't know what is wrong with you. But as about a 12-year-old, I was fascinated with the Rocky movies, and so me and a buddy were, you know, playing boxing, if that's a thing, one day, and I caught it on my left hand, and I broke a bone in my hand. And so went to the hospital, got a cast put on there, and I go to a school, and uh, I go to a gym, and the gym teacher's like, well, obviously you can't play rugby or soccer or whatever it was you were playing that time. So I was like, okay, so here's what you're going to do, Wood. So he gave me a clipboard with a piece of paper, a stopwatch, and he said, you're going to run laps, and you're going to time yourself, and you're going to write down your times to mark your progress. Now, I, I feel comfortable confessing this to you, but uh, I was a little bit of a troublemaker in school. And so he said, I don't want you running anywhere near where I'm trying to conduct an organized gym session. You go over there to that empty field and you do your laps over there, out of sight, out of mind, and then at the end, I'm going to check the, the sheet to see how you did. I don't know if I've ever been less motivated to run in my life. 
And it may come as a surprise to you, but as a 12-year-old, I did not break the four-minute mile barrier, but according to that sheet, I think I did, because <laughs> there may have been some falsification and some fraudulent claims to Guinness World Records, but the teacher didn't care. He just wanted me out of the way, not giving him any headache. And after a couple of weeks of doing this, I figured that was the game. So you best believe I ran with zero passion. And that is the exact opposite of what the pressing on that Paul is describing is. He goes on and he uses the imagery to talk about the Greco-Roman games that they had that was the origin of the Olympic games that of course we have today. But this was highly competitive. The athletes went through rigorous training. There were great prizes. There was notoriety. This was something noble to win these races. This was a race that was done with intensity and was done with passion. It was done with a strong desire to win. And that is the language that Paul uses as he talks about the pressing on, the passionate pursuit in his growth, in his relationship with God is that of a runner racing like they had actually care about the prize, not like some kid who busted it in his hand because he watched Rocky too many times. This is someone that's running with passion to get to where God was taking them. And the third thing, Philippians teaches about growth. He talks about refocus. Refocus. And I'm going to go through the, the moments where we see Paul hitting on this idea of refocus. And I, I'm going to tell you, as I was thinking about it this weekend, th there's a fair chance in the next few weeks or months, I might hit on these three points again and expand them to a whole message because there's some really, uh, really helpful stuff here. So I'm just going to skip over these right now, but write these down. If you are taking notes, I, I really believe they'll be helpful. But Philippians teaches us growth. We're talking about refocus. Paul talks about forgetting the past, forgetting the past and looking forward to all that lies ahead. And it's important that we enjoy some distance between us and the regrets of the past. To stop letting the pain of the past hurt the present. And that's very easy for me to get up here and say that when you've got very real hurt, very real regret, some things that have played into your adult life, even though you're trying to let them go. I don't want to be dismissive and I don't want to be disrespectful about very real pain that is represented here today. But I do believe that what Paul is saying about forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead is a helpful first step as we begin the process of forgetting, letting it go, whether that involves counseling, speaking to someone that you trust, whatever you need to do to start getting some distance. But that is the advice from Paul as we refocus so that we can live a growing relationship with God, letting go of the past. And I believe that there's a step for somebody here to take so that you can start that process. It might be painful, might be ugly, I don't know about you, but when I cry, it's ugly crying. I'm not a dignified crier. Shoulders shaking, snot, the whole deal. Maybe that's what it takes to start getting some distance between you and the past, but my encouragement to you is to take these words of Paul to heart and start looking to get some distance between the past and your present and to stop letting the pain of the past hurt the present. Another thing Paul mentions as we think about refocus he says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Paul is saying that this growth journey that he's committed to, it, it, is, it is eternally minded. He doesn't have just a temporal mindset, but he has eternity in mind. Paul has a perspective of what's happening here and now. It matters. It's important. It's not a joke. It shouldn't be neglected. It's something we need to be responsible for. But in the grand scheme of things, our eyes are set on eternity because this will fade. This will fade away. But there is an eternity at stake. And it's with that mindset that he proceeds in his growing relationship with God and this journey that he's committed to in this growth adventure. 
He said, you know what, I'm going to stay heavenly minded. And the third thing I want to pick up on, talking about the subject of refocus, we must hold on to the progress we have already made. We must hold on to the progress we have already made. You're just like the Apostle Paul, an incomplete work in progress. But every step uh, forward is worth celebrating. Every step forward, every element of growth, every time that you find yourself stretching in an area, every time where you find yourself disciplined where previously you weren't, that is something worth celebrating. And Paul says, you know what? As you take steps forward, celebrate. That will help as you refocus. Refocus onto what God has for you. There's three things from Philippians. Paul has a, a humility, teaches a humility. You need to be comfortable and confident that, yeah, I need to keep going. You need to be humble to do that, humble to say that my opinions, my best ideas, my best comprehension of right and wrong, all of it is up for grabs as I pursue Jesus. I'm going to let him figure that all out with me. The second thing is deep passion to run, to run after God, to run after all he had for him. And the third thing is to refocus, refocus our attention, refocus our minds so that we can grow in a relationship with him. And Paul doesn't just tell us this as, something that you all should do. He positions himself as a role model. So the next verse, after the verse that we just read, that portion of Philippians, says this in verse 17. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. So here's Paul saying, I am a role model for you to follow. And this cannot be an egotistical statement. This can't be self-serving. This can't be Paul being grandiose because he's just got finished telling them that he's a walking disaster just like they are. But Paul is positioning himself and saying, but I'm a role model. So what is he a role model for? He's surely a role model for the growth that he's telling them that they should engage in. And we talked about humility. And Paul demonstrates humility. Case in point, he's literally saying, I am not perfect. He's telling people that are looking to him for leadership, people that are looking to him for guidance, people that are looking to him for wisdom and instruction and to be taught by. And he's telling them, I'm not perfect. I haven't got this all figured out. That is a huge step of humility. Elsewhere, Paul writes that he is the chief sinner, that he's got more mess going on than anyone else. When he was in Corinth, he took a laboring job to fund his ministry. And as he tells the story of Jesus first appearing to him, he says that Jesus called him to be a servant and all the internal evidence of the New Testament shows us that Paul never forgot that calling that Jesus put on him to be a servant and in fact, he embraced it. Paul models for us the humility that he's telling us to have. He also, you can't deny, as you look at the life of Paul in the New Testament, the passion was constantly there. As Paul was beaten, as he was shipwrecked, as he was in prison, he kept on preaching Jesus, fulfilling his calling. And if you follow the story of Paul's ministry in Acts, you'll see that he looks for opportunities any which way he can. Everywhere he went, he looked for opportunities because he was driven by passion. And the refocus that we see from this passage, think about Paul's past. He stood there as Stephen was stoned to death and he approved of the whole thing. The Bible says that Paul dragged Christians out of their homes uh, and threw them into jail if they were meeting in homes for church. He actually asked and wanted to go to Damascus to be allowed to go and persecute the Christians there. And his life was completely transformed. And now he invites the readers of Philippians to do the same. With a humility, with a passion, 
and a refocus. You know, there's no way around it. Growth requires change. There's no way around it. If we're going to grow, we have to do it differently. I'm sure you've all heard the expression that insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. There's a name of a book that's an excellent read called What Got Us Here Won't Get Us There. To see this progression, to see this movement, to see this maturing, to see this growth happen, it does mean doing things differently. It does mean bringing some change. And for some of us, uh, that, that's, that's something that we dread to hear. You know, very resistant change. Other people are on the edge of their seat. But one thing I've learned and I've experienced myself and I've seen the lives of others is that there's different kinds of change that comes. Uh, there's big change and there's little change. And the big change, if, if you think about it, that, you know, uh, a hammer and a chisel and a rock face and you're smashing it to get out, you know, great big boulders. You know, that's like a big change. Hammer, chisel, you know, crash. But then there's also the stones that are in the river and hour after hour, day after day, Year after year, the, the stream just rushes over the stone and smooths it out over time. And for us, the, the big changes, uh, you know, I have stories about, you know, being at specific meetings with specific speakers, you know, something happened in a worship service or at a camp or some meeting, you know, something happened that was significant for me that, that in, you know, inspired a great change. I've also got stories about how just doing the little things every day, every day, every day, that have just brought tremendous change and tremendous growth in my life and my pursuit of wanting to follow Jesus with everything. I couldn't tell you whether it was the big hammer and chisel change or whether it was the stones in the river just getting washed over, just slowly smoothed out over time. I couldn't tell you which one was more valuable, but I would say don't be resistant to either. Either kind of, maybe the Lord wants to do something dramatic and we've been talking a lot about Paul today, and we're going to continue talking about him, that for him, he had a road to Damascus moment. He had prison doors flying open moments. He had, you know, there's a moment where he looked like he was dead, and he was prayed for and sort of bounced back and got back up on his feet. He had those great big moments, but he also spent three years in Arabia just reflecting and thinking about what this whole Jesus movement meant to him and his faith. He spent years in Antioch speaking to very, very small crowds of people and in that time being trained for the big things that God wanted to do. So Paul, we see as his example, and he told us to look to him as a role model. He models for us the great big changes that needed to happen for him, but also the stream just running over the stones, just day by day, day by day, day by day, just being immersed in things that are going to bring about godliness in his life. So we looked at some things that I think are just the attitude that can bring about growth. And we looked at that from the book of Philippians, but I want to look at some practical steps that I think are helpful for us. So everyone feeling okay so far? Everyone doing all right? Are you glad you came to church? We doing okay? Online, if you're doing okay, say amen. Well, the first thing, so I'm going to give four things that I think are helpful that we can put into place, some practical steps. The first thing is embrace the basics. Embrace the basics in the first century the synagogues, when they would get together, uh, they had a pretty routine flow to how it would go. They would have a time of worship, they would have a time of prayer, and they would be teaching from the Bible. And once the churches started to spring up, they basically just shoplifted that whole planning center template and said, we'll do that too. And so the churches would have a time of worship, a time of prayer, and they would have some teaching from the Bible. 
And amazingly, if you go to any church anywhere in the world uh, today, there's a 99.99% chance that you'll find that they have a time of worship, a time of prayer, and then they'll have some teaching from the Bible. It, it's, ama- it's just caught along. And our private life, our devotional life, really has mirrored the same idea. I don't have any new wheels to invent. I don't have any new tricks up my sleeve. For 2,000 years, Christians' lives have been built and been grown because there's been a commitment to spending time in worship, time in prayer, and time in the Bible. There's no wheels to reinvent over here. This is the basics that we get from 2,000 years of Christian tradition and prior, the way that the synagogues are run is time in worship, time in prayer, time in the Bible. Now, you may have uh, never opened a Bible before in your life. Um, that's, that's great. I'm so glad you're here. And you may have no idea where to start. I would say, ask somebody, and someone will be happy to help you. Uh, you may be reading the Bible routinely for a long period of time every day. I don't know. But let me just say this. Um, one sentence out of the Bible is better than no sentence out of the Bible. So if you need to start somewhere, start somewhere. If you, you know, don't feel this pressure that you have to jump in and spend two hours of your day in the Bible. If you need to start small and grow that, I'm in this with you. But one verse in the Bible is better than no verse in the Bible. 30 seconds in prayer is better than no seconds in prayer. One minute in worship is better than no minutes in worship. Start somewhere, embrace the basics, and just put those things in place. And I believe that you're going to see the growth come. I would even go as far as to say those things can become addictive, and you're going to want more and more. And suddenly, reading a Bible is not a chore. It's something that you look forward to. Time of prayer is not something you dread. It's something you long for. So that's my two cents on embracing the basics. But there's another thing that was important in the synagogues, important in the churches, and important for us, and that's the idea of fellowship. Fellowship. It really is those four things, worship, prayer, Bible, and fellowship, and I don't think it's any secret, it won't come to any surprise for uh, many of you here, but this year, 2020, and now into 2021, fellowship has been more difficult than ever before. Trying to get together, have people around you that care, people that uh, want God's best for you, people that are going to encourage you, people that are going to challenge you, people that you know care about you, people that you trust with some intimate parts of your life, like that has been harder than ever. So a couple of thoughts around that as we sort of step into a new year, new opportunities, new things we believe God's want to do. The first thing is commit to attend church. It's simple. It's easy. That doesn't mean it's worth dismissing. Commit to attend church, whether that's in person or online. Commit to attend church. Decide that you're going to be here. Just make the decision. This year, I'm going to go to church. And what's incredible is uh, we've seen a notable rise in the amount of people who have caught up with church online after Sunday. So as you look through the week, there are people that are jumping into our YouTube channel and are checking out the church services throughout the week. That number is increasing, which means that people have other obligations on Sunday, I'm going to assume, but they've made time to catch up during the week. That's incredible. Commit to be a part of church. Be a part of the church family. And the next thing is... is, uh, Take a next step in church. Take a next step in church. So join one of the life groups. In the next month or so, you're going to hear a lot more about the life groups that are coming up in the next semester as we start to have an eye towards spring. But join a group. Get around some people that care about you. Get around some people that are going to be honest with you. Get around some people that are even going to lay some challenges on you. The other thing is join a team. Be a part of something. Be a part of building the church. Be a part of making this whole thing possible, whether it's on a Sunday morning or something midweek, but find a way to jump in. Find a way to make this whole thing happen. And I would say for me as a a new Christian at 19, one of the best things I did was get in a group and join a team. Because suddenly I wasn't just breezing into church and breezing out, but suddenly there were people around me that knew my name. 
There were people around me that if I didn't turn up, they knew about it and they were calling up to see if I was okay. Like there were people that are around my life and it helped me explode in my faith because I got around other people. So I would highly encourage you, get in a group, join a team, and there's a program that we have here, a coaching program called Learning to Follow Jesus. Uh, It's been around for over five years now. The stories that have come out of this are absolutely tremendous. Uh, It's an eight-week coaching program, and we have people in the church that uh, have a massive desire to do this, have a passion for this, that believe in this as a coaching program, and so they've been trained and equipped uh, to go and just to help believers at any point in their journey just keep maturing and keep growing. We have this. It's called Learning to Follow Jesus. If um, that's something you want to know more about, we'd love to help you. But we have things in place. We, We want to do whatever we can as a church to make sure that fellowship piece isn't missing. Are we all good so far? 10 out of 10. Basically, someone should miss you if you're not around. Second thing. Second thing. Grow in knowledge. Grow in knowledge. 2 Peter 3, 18. You must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And maybe for you, the basics that we mentioned, the Bible reading and the worship and prayer and fellowship, maybe those are things that are already part of your routine. They're part of your rhythm. They're something that you already is in, you know, as a part of your life, as a part of your faith life. And maybe for you, it's adding something to that. And it's never been easier to, you know, to learn from people that are further along than us. It's never been easier. YouTube, I don't know how, but it's free. And there are Bible colleges that have put wholesome master's worth of material online. There's podcasts from preachers all over the world that have put all this stuff available for you and for me for free online. And of course, there are incredible books written by people, but maybe adding something like that to your life would be a massive benefit this year. And if you need some advice and you want someone to point you in some directions, reach out to someone at the church. We'd be happy to help. You can find something that'll be a blessing for you. A word of caution is that we've already touched on the idea of humility, and the idea here is to to feed our faith, not feed our pride. The Bible warns us about having too much knowledge. It puffs up. It causes problems. That's not the goal here. The goal is to fuel faith, and knowledge is only as useful as your application. Knowing it for the sake of knowing it blesses nobody. And for me, I would say that, uh, you know, growing and learning in these things and learning from people that are further along with me, people that I'll never know, um, has been a tremendous help for me. So if you're not used to reading a book, you're not used to looking for teaching on YouTube or listening to podcasts and things like that, this might be a great time for you to say, you know what, I'm going to kick the tires on that and see how we go. Third thing, clean up something. Clean up something. First one was embrace the basics, grow in knowledge. And the third thing, clean up something. Psalm 51.10, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart. Pick something. Pick something that you're going to clean up. Pick something. And what you bring to the Lord and what the person next to you brings to the Lord and say, Lord, this is what I want you to help me clean up may be completely different. For one person, it might be a habit. For someone else, it might be an attitude. For someone else, it might be an addiction they've been locked in. For someone else, it might be they need to start doing something. For someone else, it might be they need to stop doing something. Maybe you know right away, maybe this is going to take some thought for you. Maybe you need to ask someone that you trust to give you some ideas. But I believe that there's all something that if we were honest and we said, Lord, I need your help cleaning up this, there'd be something. I remember what the words of Paul, embracing this, embracing cleaning up something, yes, it's uncomfortable, but this is the mature thing to do. 
to grab something and say, Lord, I'm bringing this. I need to clean this up. And then I believe the impossible we read about from the parable of the sower, I believe we'll start to see some of this stuff as we bring that, Lord, help me clean this up. I believe we'll start to see it. There will be impossible breakthrough, impossible freedom, impossible peace in our lives, impossible defeating temptation, impossible open doors, impossible opportunities, and impossibly strong character. If we say, Lord, I want to clean up something. Fourth thing. Fourth thing we can do as we go on this pursuit of growth, is replant the harvest. Replant the harvest. And back to the parable of the sower, Matthew 13, 8, still other seeds fell on fertile soil and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. That's the impossible harvest that we talked about. In the fourth century, uh, sorry, excuse me, in the third, uh, first century, there were four things that the farmers did with the harvest. They categorized the quality of the harvest, the quality of the, you know, the grain or whatever it is they were harvesting. They would categorize it into four sections. The one was the worst harvest, the worst stuff of the, whatever crop they had. They would divide it up and the one went to the worst stuff. And that was what you fed the animals. You take the worst part of the harvest, you feed that to the animals. The next part you would use for baking at home. So you would take part of the third, you know, the not quite as bad as the, you know, animal feed. The next one would be for baking at home. The second best would be for taking to market. And the best of the best was for replanting. The best of the best was for replanting. The worst of the worst went to the animals. The next stuff you used to bake at home. The next stuff you went to market. But the best of the best crop was used for replanting for next year. God is looking to do impossible things. And with that impossible harvest, take care of the animals. Get everyone fed at home. You'll have something to take to market. But the best is to replant in the lives of others. When God brings a breakthrough in your life, I believe he's able to take that impossible harvest and help you plant it in the life of someone else so they can find a breakthrough. That your breakthrough, your impossible harvest, can in turn become someone else's impossible harvest. I've got a a great passion for Teen Challenge and over the years, I've had varying, uh, you know, involvement with Teen Challenge. And as a church, we support the Teen Challenge program in Syracuse, uh, you know, financially. We're happy to do that. It's a great ministry that we love being able to support. And it says this on their website, that our vision is seeing all people freed from life-controlling issues through the power of Jesus Christ. And Teen Challenge, compared to other organizations that do similar things, they have a 70% success rate whereas the others have 18. 70% success rate, which, let's just be honest, is impossible. And the rest of the, you know, other organizations do similar things. They have an 18% success rate. Teen Challenge do remarkable work. Now, the president of Teen Challenge said this. I'm going to read you a quote from, from them. Almost all the people that do the teaching for Global Teen Challenge are former drug addicts. We don't bring in people who have studied the drug issue We don't bring in educators to talk to people. 
There's tremendous change that happens in someone's life when the person who's trying to help them out of the ditch had to get out of the ditch him or herself. Your past breakthrough is someone else's future breakthrough. Your past breakthrough, how God has brought an impossible harvest in your life is something you can sow into someone else's life and help them find an impossible breakthrough in the future. It can be their future breakthrough. When God's able to do the impossible things because believers have got a mindset of, I'm not slowing down. I'm not gonna be casual with this. We're gonna go for this. We're gonna be passionate. We're gonna pursue this. We're gonna run after this. God is able to say, you know what? We can grab a hold of that and we can use that in someone else's life. Your story can help set someone free. Your pain and the things that God has brought you through, you can come and that can be an area of strength for someone else. The impossible harvest that God is bringing about in the lives of believers, the best of that harvest is to be seed for somebody else. There is nothing selfish as we talk about growing in the kingdom of God and growing in our pursuit and our relationship with God. It is one of the most selfless things you can do because the best of the best is in turn to help set someone else free. Come on, this is some good news. Somebody say amen, hallelujah, or come on somebody up in here. And I believe, I really do, if we look back a year from now, we think about how we've grown and think about how God has been able to work in our lives and our hearts, I believe that the people around us will notice. I believe that people will be able to see, we'll be able to see ourselves if we're being honest, but I think that the people around us will also be able to see it. I mean, think back through what we've talked about. If we're growing in humility, if we're growing in that passion, our refocus, we're getting our eyes off ourselves, we're letting go of the past, we're getting some distance with the past, that we're more and more eternity-minded, that we're encouraged by the progress that we're making, that each step we're celebrating as a victory forward. And we're just embracing the basics. We're embracing the, the pleasure and the honor it is to have you know, daily Bible reading and time in prayer and time in worship and to be able to have meaningful fellowship with people. And as we grow in knowledge and we're challenged by other believers that are further ahead than us, people will be able to see that working itself out in our lives. As we clean up the messy areas in life, people will notice and as we replant what God is doing in our lives and the lives of other people, man, that's when the fun begins, amen? I've got a couple of questions for you. Hopefully this is helpful as you take time this week maybe to think about this. If you're married, maybe it's worth talking through with a spouse. But the first thing is, where have you already seen God bring growth? Where have you already seen God bring growth? This is a key part of Paul's advice to the church in Philippi to get distance from the past, holding on to the progress they've already made and to let that progress spur them on and to not forget what God has already done. So where have you already seen God bring growth? Where have you grown from this time last year or this time 10 years ago? How have you grown and how have you changed? How has God shaped your heart today versus when you first got saved, however long ago that was? And the second question, I call this the dangerous question. If everyone did what you're doing, are things getting better or worse? If everyone did what you're doing, are things getting better or worse? If everyone had humility the way that you have humility, are things getting better or worse? If everyone had the kind of passion you have for your faith, are things getting better or worse? If everyone read the Bible the way you read the Bible, if everyone worshiped the way you worshiped, if everyone loved their neighbor the way you loved their neighbor, are things getting better or worse? This question is applicable and something to ask ourselves no matter what is going on, no matter what environment we're in. If everyone did what I'm doing, are things getting better or worse? 
I really hope I don't get any emails this week from a couple saying that this came out in an argument. But this is a question that if you ask yourself, if everyone did what I'm doing, are things get better or worse? If I do we face temptation the way I face temptation? If everyone justified their bad choices the way I justify my bad choices, are things getting better or worse? That question will turn up areas we need to grow in. That question, man, that's like putting a finger on a fresh wound. Yep, need to fix that up. Need God's help. Need God to help me clean up that mess. Need God to get me through. And if this is a decision that you want to make to grow, and I sincerely hope that it is, it doesn't matter your starting point. It doesn't matter your starting point. You can't choose your starting point. The moment you say, yes, I'm going to start, you've started. No matter where you are today, no matter what regrets you have, you may have incredible regrets here. You may regret something from last night. You may regret something from this morning. But you're here. And you can make the decision in your heart that, you know what, this is, I'm going to grow. I'm going to grow. I'm going to pursue. I'm going to chase after. I'm going to hunt down my relationship with God and my growth in God. I'm going to embrace humility. I'm going to have a passion. I'm going to refocus my thinking and grow in your relationship with Him. For Paul, he had a moment on the road to Damascus and he was on the way to go and persecute Christians. He was on the way to go and possibly even murder people because he believed it was the right thing to do. And Jesus appeared to him and it was a bright light and it was so stunning that it knocked Paul off his horse. And for Paul, that was his starting point. For some of you here, you may have a moment that you would describe as your Damascus Road moment that you would point to and say, that was the moment where it all changed for me. That was the moment when I decided, you know what, I'm gonna start following God. But there may be some of you here today and you've never made that decision. There may be some of you online today that in a moment of honesty, you'd have to say, you know what, I've never had that Damascus Road moment. I've never got to the point of saying, you know what, I believe that God is for real. I believe He loves me in an indescribable way. I believe His Son died for me. I wanna follow Him with everything. You may have never got to that point before, but I would love to pray for you if that's you today and you're ready to say, you know what, I got knocked off my horse today. Maybe it was some of the worship songs that we sang this morning, something from that grabbed you. Maybe it was one of the Bible verses that I shared, but something just got you and you're at that point now where you just know that you know that the God of the universe, the one that created the universe loves you so much that He would send His Son to the cross to pay a price that you and I could never ever pay. And if that's you today, I'd love to pray for you as you begin the pursuit of following Jesus. I wanna ask everyone here, if you wouldn't mind closing your eyes and bowing your heads, is just give some privacy and discretion to those around you so we can focus on what really matters right now. And if you'd be honest enough and you'd be brave enough today to say, Tom, you know what? I'm not following Jesus, but I wanna start. I'd love to pray for you. And if that's you, if you could just put your hand in the air, Online, if you just click the button that says, I raise my hand, I'd love to pray for you. Amen. Amen. Anyone else here at home, online, I'm not going to do anything weird, I'm not going to embarrass you, but you're just saying, when you pray in a moment, make sure you pray for me. Anybody else here today? Amen. Amen. Come on, word of life. Can we please celebrate 
with people who have made the best decision they are ever gonna make. We're gonna pray a prayer together and the words are gonna be on the screen. And I encourage everybody here to pray along with us. If you're a believer, pray this with faith, believing the person next to you might be praying this for the first time. Come on, everybody, let's pray. I'll say it, then you repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I want to follow you. I invite you to be Lord of my life. Help me follow you every day. I want to leave my old life of sin behind and heal my broken relationship with God. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, one more time, everybody. Let's celebrate. Amen. Well, Word of Life, I hope there was something here that was helpful, maybe challenging, hopefully encouraging. Why don't you go ahead, let's welcome back Leslie and James. They help you figure out what a next step might be, including learning to follow Jesus. Amen.